Hello, everybody. Welcome to the SK Sports Podcast Show. Today, I'll be joined by one of the greatest linebackers to ever play the game of football, and that is Mr. Carl Banks. Carl, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Sean. I'm at Science Camp. It's, it's, it's really good to see football back, and hopefully it's uh, back to stay, and it won't have to have any disruptions. Yeah, and you mentioned now that you're at training camp. What it's you know a lot of uncertainty throughout the you know world outside of sports and inside of sports and when you look at it you know does it it has a definitely a different taste does you know do the guys like overall as like football players that you've seen play so far out on the field are they like do they have like a sense of like things changing what is that like going on with some other guys in terms of contact with anyone outside of their their own group. Um, so we don't have direct contact with the players at all. They are, in essence, here in training camp in their own bubble. So they have their testing and their contact tracing devices, um, but we don't get a chance to get um, any in-person contact with them other than sitting, you know, a couple hundred yards away watching practice. Wow, that that's crazy because I always want I always had the idea because I was thinking throughout the, the summer, how are you know, you see the NBA come back what they're doing in Orlando with their bubble, you know, with the NHL what they're doing inside their bubble, they're playing in the playoffs. But like I was always thinking about football. I'm like, you know, this is the most contacted sport. So like how are they gonna make this happen? You know, and especially like go heading into the fall where there's, you know, possibility of a second wave. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. But, you know, uh, what do you think about, like, the season overall? Uh, do you think, like, um, possibly you, you never know what stoppages, anything could happen. But do you think that we could finish up a whole entire season? Well, that, that's the hope. It's 16 weeks. Um, what has to happen, uh, not only in sports but in society, then everyone kind of adheres to the safety protocols and uh, not you know, engage in reckless behavior. Right now in training camp, it is a contained environment. It's totally controlled. But what happens or what's yet to happen is to see when players integrate back into society and they're coming and going from their homes their wives and children are coming and going is how that will play out. So uh, we, we have our fingers crossed. I, I don't worry so much about the contact between football players mm -hmm. because it's no different. And I would say it's probably less contact on a, on a moment by moment basis than basketball. You know, basketball is touchy feely all over the place. Yeah. Um, and there's no huddles. You know, until there's a timeout. In football, you you know you have some level of separation, but um, those guys are all being tested under the same parameters. So I don't worry about that. It's again when they reintegrate into society as a whole and the behaviors that they engage in from there is where the concern comes in. And you know we've seen. Uh, even at the college level with the student bodies that come back, the first thing they do is engage in these big parties and all of a sudden, you know, the, the uh, number of cases go up. So 
Uh, I think if everyone follows their um, medical advice and adhere to it, we'll be fine. And that that even goes for fans in terms of you know a hopeful return to in person in arena. Uh, viewership. Yep. I think, you know, if we can get society to work together and, and, and help contain this thing and, and, and tamp down the cases, then you may see stadiums open up before the year is over in some in some cities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned that too. Like, you know, like you said, follow, you know, players following protocols and stuff like that to keep, you know, the season moving along. And uh, like you said, with fans possibly coming into the stands, if everyone, you know, follows the protocols like because i know jerry jones in dallas i know he has a set mind that he wants to have fans you know uh in kansas city i think they are planning to have a i believe it's like around a 33 percent capacity somewhere around that range i believe they want to have some fans but like how do you think roger goodell and like the nfl in general how do you think they handled this situation Mm-hmm. Uh, I think just from what I've seen from the training camp protocols and, and all the things that they have in place, I think so far so good. I give them a passing grade um, because they have a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that these these young men um, are, are, are doing in terms of their safety and the organizations are doing in terms of their safety. So, uh, we're hopeful, uh, but I think as a league, so far so good. You know, um, again, we won't know until the season starts and training camps actually break and players are back into uh, society. But just given the fact that the majority, the vast majority of football players came to camp and there weren't a ton of, of positive tests tells you that they are taking this serious and they have been taking it serious prior to coming into training camp. Oh, that's good. See, that's all we need, you know. Like, guys, if everyone's taking it serious, you know, in daily testing, I think we're. I think overall we're going to be, you know, fine in general when everyone's following the right uh, protocols. But I wanted to get into something that happened this offseason. We witnessed the first ever... NFL virtual draft. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. What did you think about that whole situation? Well, I got to tell you, that gave gave me so much excitement because I was so skeptical about how they were going to pull it off. And boy, did they do a wonderful job. And and I give them an an A-plus on that. I mean, that experience uh, was so personal, you know, or interpersonal. Uh, the way we got a chance to see the kids and their families in their own environment, but they went around the country with it. And then, you know, the commissioner in and of himself, as he was announcing, I just thought it was just incredible. Yeah, I loved every moment of it. I think they did a terrific job of putting the whole thing together. And um, when I know when you got drafted, going back to your days now, what was your reaction to getting the phone call coming out of uh, Michigan State from the New York Giants? Uh, it, was, it was a shock. You know, obviously I was the third player drafted, and it just still goes to tell you how far they've gone in terms of promoting the draft because, you know, I'm a top five pick, and there wasn't even a – I don't even think there was a draft in New York where they were inviting players. But um, I got the phone call, I, you know, and I didn't know – 
where I would be drafted. I was hopeful that I would be drafted in the NFL. And uh, when the Giants drafted me, I was like, wow. You know, a team with great linebackers, all pro linebackers, future Hall of Famers. So I was excited to be there, uh, to be selected by the Giants. And, you know, when, when Bill Parcells, uh, before he hung up the phone, he says, I didn't draft you to sit you on the bench. So I knew that I had to come in and, and do some work so I can get on the field. Wow, that that's a great story. And uh, speaking of uh, Bill Parcells, fast forwarding like in your career a bit, you guys end up winning two Super Bowls together. And uh, you, you were part of one of the greatest defenses in NFL history. I wanted to talk about uh, Bill Parcells real quick. What was it like to play underneath a head coach like him? Well, it was, it was awesome, but it wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. Um, success normally doesn't come easy. You've got to work at it. And, you know, he was very demanding of not only the players, but of his assistant coaches as well. You know, no detail was too small. Uh, but he was a hell of a, a hell of a coach to play for. Um, you know, he spent time with his players. He got to know everybody. And little known fact, you know, uh, Bill Parcells is a sports junkie. Football wasn't even his favorite sport. Oh wow! Uh, we used to play. We used to play one-on-one basketball in the old Giant Stadium at lunchtime. He'd come down and get a few guys, and uh, we'd be out playing one-on-one or two-on-two basketball. Wow. So it was it was uh, quite a relationship that he developed with his players. Yeah. Uh, could you actually talk to me about how important is that in the NFL, even nowadays, back then when you were playing, how important is that like head coach to player relationship? Well, it's very important if you want to uh, maximize your potential as a coach and uh, the potential of your players. That relationship is key. Mm-hmm. Uh, a coach who does not have a relationship with his players, or he's viewed as aloof amongst the team, he's going to have a very hard time competing with his players when the going gets tough. And the going does get tough every year, no matter who you are in the NFL. Uh, and no matter what your record is, there's going to be some times where you're going to have to deal with adversity. And the relationship a coach has with his players is pretty much a determining factor as to whether or not they come out on the other side of that adversity successful. Um, You can look at in um, Kansas City when Patrick Mahomes had his ankle injuries. Uh, Andy Reid had to rally his guys, and, and they had to do some things differently. And if he could not, um, they probably would have had a, a, a worse record and, and and not had the success that they had. But, you know, great great head coaches are always defined not by their X's and O's, but you hear their players talk about the relationship that the coach has with them. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And uh, I want to get into more of the defense that you were a part of. Now, when would you say you guys got the nickname of, like, the Big Blue Wrecking Crew? When was that, like, around? When would you say you got that? Wow. Um, I would say probably 1985, the year we lost in the 
uh, NFC Championship game to the Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were a good defense, but I think that year uh, is where we really, you know, that nickname started to really um, take hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, when uh, with playing like guys like Lawrence Taylor, uh, Harry Carson, uh, Gary Reasons, uh, what was it like to play with th- that group of guys? Well, we were the ultimate teammates, obviously, and we were all very good at what we do. But when you look at a guy like Harry Carson, who was a man amongst boys, uh, he played. You know, he played as a giant. I mean, he was the ultimate tough guy, uh, really good, the heart and soul of our defense. And then Lawrence Taylor was otherworldly. You know, you look at him in awe every practice because he just he does something to make you say, wow, how did he do that? So um, having those two guys as the, uh, the top of our linebacking crew Guys like myself and Gary Reasons and Pepper Johnson and uh, Johnny Cooks, Byron Hunt, mm-hmm. Andy Hedden, we all knew we had to raise our game and bring our A game every single practice because those two guys were, they, they set the tone. They set the example each and every practice that it came to work and we had to match their energy. Mm-hmm. Take take me through uh, the, your Super Bowl appearances. You faced uh, Denver and Buffalo. Take me through those games. What was that moment like for you, especially like against Denver, because that was your first Super Bowl game. So, like, what was that experience like for you? Well, every every player that uh, plays in NFL dreams of going to a Super Bowl um, and obviously winning it. Uh, we all dream about Super Bowl rings, and we had such a dominant season in 1986 that we weren't going to be denied our opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, that season was, for us, defined by how we were able to handle the Washington football team, which at that time was the Redskins. Um, because there were three teams in the 80s that pretty much owned that era. It was the 49ers, Washington, and the New York Giants. That's where all the Super Bowls went. Mm-hmm. And so we knew that if we could deal with the Washington Redskins, we'd get to the 49ers, and then we'd get to the Super Bowl. Um, and so we were able to beat them three times in one season, uh, so we knew we were on our way. Um, and then there was Denver as we got through the playoffs. And, you know, uh, we saw it was going to be Denver and not uh, the Cleveland Browns. We, you know, we started to focus in on what they did. They were, you know, John Elway was one of the best uh, quarterbacks in the league. And, yep. and today, one of the greatest to ever play the game. Uh, they were a multifaceted offense that gave you so many different looks. Their defense was a little unorthodox because they they moved their guys around a lot. Uh, so we just, we went to work. I mean, it was just one of those deals where we had a style of play and we would make you play our style and we would dominate you. Uh, and so for us, it was to be a physical, a smart physical team um, and impose our will 
And so when we got into that Super Bowl, I remember that week. I think we covered everything, and I think for me personally, there wasn't a night that I didn't go to bed before 2 o'clock in the morning. Wow. I would stay up just watching videotape, and aside from what we did in our meetings, I'd spend more time just looking at tape, trying to get a feel for um, the rhythm of their offense, the rhythm of every player in their offense uh, beyond just the X's and O's. And I think by the time the game rolled around, there was nothing that they could do that I personally wasn't ready for. And um, our team was just able to come in and uh, put on a pretty good, pretty good game. Now, we were down at halftime. And uh, the only thing Bill Parcells said to us at halftime was, hey, you've been down before. Go see your coaches, make adjustments, and let's win this game. And Mm. that was it. No rah-rah speeches or anything. And we came out in the second half, and and we took control of the game. Wow. And, uh, like, how do you, like, going up against John Elway and, you know, in that Denver offense, like, how do you guys approach it? Like, you know, a game plan of that between that and even nowadays in the NFL, like, what would you, like, recommend for a defense? How should they uh, approach a guy like a Tom Brady today? Uh, Pat Mahomes today, a Drew Brees, and Aaron Rodgers. Like, how is that game plan from a defense standpoint, you know, going up against a top quarterback? Well, the thing is, a quarterback is only as good as his receivers. Mm-hmm. in his offensive line. So you find ways to take away those guys' tools. Now, I think the ultimate challenge in today's NFL is Lamar Jackson mm-hmm. uh, because he does so many different things. Uh, and he's always, there's not a single play that he's not a, a threat to uh, take over a play and become um, the feature. So... Um, when you look at how you defend against great quarterbacks, you look at their offensive line, you look at their weapons. Yep. And then you find out, you know, what about that offense that makes them tick? Now, obviously, a, a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes can move around quite a bit, but the thing that allows him to do that are uh, the fact that he's got uh, receivers that are blazing fast and can create space in your defense. Um, So you've got to figure out how do you limit that space? Is it something that your offensive line does? Is it something that your linebackers do? Um, So there there are various uh, methods that you can do, but it it takes understanding what makes an offense tick. And obviously, when you play a team like when uh, Tom Brady was at the Patriots, um, you know, he didn't hold the ball very long. Uh, they protected outside in, so you would have to, um, I'm sorry, they were protected inside out, so you'd have to figure out how to get pressure up the middle or to extend the play for Tom Brady because the ball gets out of his hands so quick. So um, you devise a defense that will um, jam wide receivers or take away the first looks, and uh, create something that can generate pressure up the middle. Mm-hmm. So now, like, with the Giants this year, like, now you have Daniel Jones heading into another season, uh, a re-amped, I, at least I think personally, it's going to be a re-amped offensive line. 
And like you said, uh, that's like some part of the keys, you know, for a quarterback to have major success in this league, you know, receivers, uh, offensive line. Now with the improved like offensive line, what do you think, what, what would you say are like the Giants expectations offensively? with their offensive line coach, Mark Colombo, who had tremendous success as the offensive line coach at the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, the best offensive line in all of football for a very long period of time. Uh, you know that he brings an element that um, of teaching that is much needed for the Giants. And then you look at Jason Garrett, who um, had one of the most efficient uh, and effective offenses with Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott. Mm-hmm. So you can probably glean some insight from that as you look at Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones and uh, this receiving core. But uh, to make a prediction for a team that wasn't very good last year, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Because there are just so many. The reason they picked high in the draft again this year is because they earned it with a poor record. And that means they weren't a very good football team. So I'm looking for improvement. Um, I think defensively, they're going to take a step forward, but they're young in a lot of areas on defense and inexperienced. Yep. So, um, you know, I'm looking for improvement, but I can't tell you how many games that what improvement looks like by a, a, a wins and loss record, but I think it'll be a noticeable improvement. Um, and then given the fact that every team has not had an opportunity to participate in an off-season program in person, uh, we don't know what the league will look like in terms of players getting injured. The team, And I would say the teams that stay the healthiest are the ones that are going to be able to um, – to win good football games. That's, that's yeah. normally true uh, in, a, in a normal, in a regular season under normal conditions, but now more so than ever because you get these unexpected injuries where a guy could um, really uh, impact your, your team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you have like guys who could, you know, possibly, you know, injuries are always a possibility. Nowadays, you have guys opting out due to COVID, which is understandable. You know, no one's blaming anybody for opting out of any sort of season. And like, uh, in general, for like, what do you think about the Giants draft class? Because like, I highlighted some picks. I really like the Andrew Thomas pick. I'm a big fan of uh, Xavier McKinney. They got a lot of guys like in the mid to late rounds where I think could be steals and help, you know, the defense in the near future. What do you think about the job that uh, GM Dave Gettleman has done? Well, I think the guys that he selected are, are high-performing guys, played at a high level in college. Um, I think, you know, given the staff that, that is here with the Giants, we should see those guys um, make that that. Um, translation of college football to NFL football language uh, pretty good. I think they'll, they'll, they'll transition. It's going to take time for some guys. Obviously, um, you've got an offensive tackle who's, who's got to learn. You know, the NFL, the speed in the NFL is a little different. Uh, McKinney comes from a program that's very complex in Alabama, so I don't think uh, once he learns the NFL languages, 
I think he'll be fine. A mm-hmm. kid like Darnay Holmes, who's already starting to show some promise here in training camp, is another kid that'll that'll help him. But again, this is a very young team. Yeah, so you've got to live through some growing pains, also. Uh, so far at training camp, who would you say are some of the guys that are like most exciting that you've seen like overall? Who do you think uh, could impact the team immediately? You know, we're a weekend. Um, they haven't had their first real scrimmage. Mm-hmm. They did some stuff live today. So um, I'm just looking at drills and how guys are executing. I think guys that, that have an opportunity to impact uh, this season is a guy like Lorenzo Carter who could really impact his defense. He'll be able to make a lot of plays if he, if he you know, steps up. So, um, But we'll, we'll keep our eye on a lot of things, but it's too early right now. Um, I think as these coaches start to really get a feel for the team and, and, and what they are capable of, we'll start to see both coaches and players get more comfortable uh, within the scheme, as they call it. Yeah. Uh, what were your thoughts on the Patrick Graham hire when uh, Joe Judge brought him along? I thought it was great. Uh, I've known Patrick since he was an assistant to an assistant at New England when he first came into the league. Um, I have a lot of respect for him. He's a very, very bright guy. Uh, I think he will do a good job with this this group. He's a smart guy. He's a great teacher. Uh, I think he fits in with uh, the type of coaches that um, Joe Judge wants on his staff, but the, the kind of coaches that understand what it takes to win and mm-hmm. what it takes to win at a high level. Mm-hmm. So uh, now uh, I want to talk about uh, first-year head coach Joe Judge now. He's coming over from... Bill Belichick's staff. Now, I've heard, I've been reading some things that, uh, like, if there, if there was someone that made a mistake, like, you know, not just players, even, like, some coaches, you know, they would run laps. Have you, like, ever witnessed something like that throughout your career? Like, even coaches running laps? You know, I, I um, told, the, told you earlier in this, this conversation how Bill brought Bill Parcells not only held his players accountable, but Mm -hmm. he held his coaches accountable also. He was demanding of both. So, um, though I've never, you know, seen or been a part of a team where the coaches had to run for a player's mistake, I have been in meeting rooms where coaches were screamed and cursed at worse than players. Wow. Something a player did. So, um, I think it's everybody's in it together. Uh, they understand that, um, and, and coaches will hold you accountable. So, you know, if all they had to do is run a lap, I think that's that's the easy part because I've seen uh, Bill Parcells come into a meeting room and in front of his players rip his coaches to pieces over a mistake that a player made. Mm-hmm. Now you, now Bill Belichick, I believe he was a he was a defensive coordinator for you when you were playing, right? Yeah, so like, uh, what was it like to play underneath like Beltre? That was way before, obviously, he went to New England. But what was it like to play underneath him? Uh, it's it was awesome. Um, you know, the one thing that I knew 
from day one that he was going to be a great head coach uh, because of his attention to detail, his thirst for knowledge, his understanding of the game, and his ability to uh, construct plays that benefited everybody, not just one guy. Um, so those are the, the components of, of becoming a good head coach. And, you know, from the minute uh, I encountered him, I mean, he's a very demanding guy. He works your tail off. Uh, but he also teaches. He tells you why. Mm-hmm. And he's attention to detail. Obviously, his, his record speaks for itself. But um, he's a guy who works you hard, tells you how, what you're doing and how you're supposed to do it and, and why it works. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, it's hard to dispute that. And you know, obviously I'm honored to be a part of that development process with him and to see him as the greatest coach in, in um, the history of the game. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to highlight this moment when you went up against the uh, Buffalo Bills in your second uh, Super Bowl appearance. Now, the, you know, the game's on the line. You had uh, Buffalo's kicker out there, Scott Norwood. He's going up. He's lining up for a 47-yard field goal. What, you know, what was going through your head, like, as a defense, you know? Like, oh, man, this could be the game, or we could, oh, let's go, let's go block this. You know, this could be our win, or they might win it. What was, uh, like, the thought, what was in your heads uh, in that moment? Well, we knew it would take a hell of a kick uh, <laughs> because, you know, like everything else in the Bill Parcells um, game plan, we knew what the kicker's range was, so we knew that. He was just on the outside of his kicking range. But I think um, aside from that particular play, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of credit should go to our punter, Sean Landetta. Yeah. Because had Sean not had the punt that he had, it could have been a different story. Mm. Um, but he pinned them back there and, uh, we were able, we were able to defend enough to keep them out of his uh, his range. So uh, when he lined up to kick it, um, we we felt that it was going to be a tough kick for him to make. But you know, it was such a hard fought game. If they make it, you tip your hat to them. If they miss it, you celebrate. A job well done. Yeah, and like uh, holding up that trophy, like what? Was that like all those emotions like holding up, you know, the Lombardi trophy throughout your career? It's the greatest feeling in the world, Sean. I mean, there's just nothing like it. You play your whole career uh, in hopes of of winning a Super Bowl. Uh, And the thing about winning that particular game is that both teams put everything they have into winning that game. And there's only going to be one winner. Yep. And the other guy, you know, and it's unfortunate, but because it's the ultimate game, the guy that loses is the ultimate loser in terms of at the highest level because you get there and there is no other option but to win. You know, if you lose in the championship round, it's maybe next year we'll get to the Super Bowl. If you lose in the divisional round, it's like, hey, we're not quite good enough to get, you know, past this round. But when you're good enough to get to a Super Bowl, 
you want to win it because there's just the, there, the only only option that you have is to win. Yeah. Because it's the ultimate game. Yep. Oh man, that's uh. Hey, I, I'm only right now. I'm only 19 years old, but I always watch those highlights as much as I can. I I love watching the old time Giants. I always love uh, learning about Giants history because uh, even my my dad's a huge Giants fan. I'm a huge Giants fan myself. I grew up watching them, love them in general. Uh, I was gonna say next. Now heading into this season for the New York Giants, I know. We're short of uh, a receiver. We just lost uh, Cody Core, I believe. And uh, I was wondering, what is that position battle going to be like at the receiver spot? Because we have two undrafted free agent signings from uh, Ohio State and uh, Benjamin Victor and uh, Austin Mack. So I was wondering, like, uh, what do you see like that positional uh, battle like? Well, you have um, Sterling Shepard, Harris mm-hmm. So those are your three main line, main line guys, and then you have Evan Ingram. That's another guy. So any of these other players that are drafted are going to number one have to be counted on to contribute as special teams players and define roles as receivers. Obviously, you need as much depth as possible in the NFL so that teams can. Um, have a problem game planning on your personnel, but you you know who the the, the four receivers are in this offense, barring injury, and then the other guys have to find their their opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you today is that uh, is there any advice that you would give to the up and coming young players, whether coming out of high school heading into college? guys coming out of college heading into the draft to experience something like that uh what advice would you give to those uh to these young kids is just stay prepared uh, to enter into the next level um make sure you uh be attention to detail no detail is, is too small when you aspire uh to the next level it's often the little things that keep you uh All right, that's going to conclude today's episode of the SK Sports Podcast Show. I would like to thank Carl Banks for taking some time out of his day. Thank you. All right, Carl, I hope you and your family stay safe and uh, enjoy training camp. You the same, buddy. Let's go, Giants. All right, you got it, Sean. Bye-bye. See ya.